The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Welcome to The Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up this week, Catherine Fitzgerald and her husband, actor Dominic West, are owners of the historic Glyn Castle in County Limerick. And Catherine is showcasing the castle's history, which has been in her family for hundreds of years. Now we're supposed to change our bed linen every week, but most of us leave it far longer than that. I'll be joined by an expert to tell us more. International Women's Day is Wednesday and an upcoming Irish art auction features important works by female artists and we'll be taking a look. Interior designer to the stars Arlene McIntyre will be with me later with tips on giving your bedroom or guest room the five-star hotel treatment. You can email the show at thehomeshow at newstalk.com if you'd like to get involved in this week's podcast and you're very welcome along. Now, one of... uh, the events that I always mark in my calendar is World Book Day. In fact, it's kind of World Book Week and it's about celebrating reading and buying books and all of that. But my problem is getting rid of books. Uh, I absolutely hate it. They're piled up on what seems like every surface. And even when I've finished reading it and I've loaned it out to people I think will like it and I get it back, I still can't get rid of it. But some books uh, we never read. And you know the ones I'm talking about. The coffee table books, the ones that are there, the nice hardback expensive ones that are there to impress other people. Go on, you know you have them. Uh, And if you do, you might as well know which ones to get. Well, later on, I'll be asking Arlene McIntyre. Now, she's a luxury designer. She advises the likes of Vogue Williams and uh, celebrities on what coffee table books to have that are going to show case your intelligence or maybe lack thereof and we'll be chatting to her later. If you'd like to get involved 53106 or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com Now Catherine Fitzgerald and her husband Dominic West are owners of historic Glyn Castle in County Limerick. The castle has been in the Fitzgerald family for 700 years and Catherine joins me now to talk about its history and what's involved in keeping it running both as a home and a venue for hire. Catherine, you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Thanks, Sinead. It's great to be on it. Thanks for asking me. Now, you grew up in Glyn Castle. Your father was the Knight of Glyn. I... I it's a funny question to ask anybody for whom that was normal, but what was your childhood like? Well, um, we we grew up at Glynn and we, you know, we had the run of the gardens. I got I got really all my inspiration for becoming a garden designer later from spending my my life running through the woods, building dens, and living outside after school, walking home from school in Glynn. Um, through the woods and down the drive. It was it was really magical. It really was. And then we would play up in the attics at the top of the house, where it's all dusty, old sort of bits and pieces have gathered over centuries and been left up there. And we had an old curiosity shop. I mean, it was really, it was it was a wonderful childhood. It just sounds magical. And, you know, it's such a huge home and has such large grounds that really... Th- it just you wouldn't have needed anything else really I mean there was there was obviously a fantastic outdoor life but also you grew up there with your sisters uh, and did friends love coming to visit? Yes friends would come and visit and well there was also um, my parents had taken it over in the 70s and they but it had been it, it needed a lot of um, it, it really needed a big overhaul to pull it into to bring it up to 
to, to, to bring it around to pay for itself, to, to make it a business. And they really did that. They set to the farm. They started a business, hospitality business in the main house in, in the 70s, having guests from America paying guests. And they were one of the earliest country houses that did that. So we, it was also quite a working home. It was very much that we would have visitors all summer. There were tours, Irish Children Society tours would come see around the house and we would be, you know, around. And my parents were um, very much involved in all of that. So it was, you know, we we're very much aware that the house was special. And my father had worked. We, I was um, born actually in London and lived there for five years before we moved back. He was a, cur- a curator at the Victorian Albert Museum and he... You know, the house was his kind of own little museum and he used to move everything around every <laughs> every few weeks. And um, so it was, we, we were aware it was special. We didn't really tear around in the main house. It was kind of, um, it was kept for best and we lived in the wing. So it was a kind of, we had this lovely freedom, but we were also um, very much aware of this business going on and that we had to, um, how hard my parents worked to keep it really. Mm. Now, tell us a little bit about its very long history, because it has been around for hundreds of years. Um, are you mindful always of, you, you mentioned there being a curator, are you mindful always about this heritage that you want to preserve while being a modern dwelling? Uh, yes, very much. Um, I'm really passionate about um, gardens and architecture, and I love 18th century architecture. And so the idea that so, so I feel very responsible for for preserving it and caring for it and trying to um, restore some of the lodges that have um, that were really going downhill and trying to trying to yeah it's really just try to look after it in my lifetime who knows what will happen afterwards but um, these houses are fragile they're difficult to very very expensive and challenging to to run. So um, it, it is a challenge, but it's a wonderful um, privilege to, to be given that chance. And since I love, I love um, all those things anyway. It's I'm giving it my best shot. Yeah. And of course, seven hundred years of history and building means that you are going to have some parts of it that don't meet, you know, <laughs> modern insulation regulations or architectural standards. And how difficult is it to balance off? you know, retaining it, you know, as part of what it used to be uh, and and also making sure that Mm. that it's comfortable now. Well, I mean, I should just add that the original Glyn Castle, um, well, the original castle was at Shannage, which is um, some miles away. And the the original castle in Glyn was besieged in 1601 by Elizabethan troops who sailed up the Shannon and it's a ruin now. So I'm not, so although the family have lived on these lands since the 1200s, the, ha- the house was a new house built onto a, an, an old long house built in the 17th century, which is where the family moved to after the siege. Mm. So, they, so there was a smoky thatched long house and they were down on their luck. And then in the 18th century, one of the knights cleverly married an heiress um, from Dorset, whom he met at Bath, um, which was just a social scene in those days, and took her back to the wilds of West Limerick and um, spent all her money building this fantastic um, Georgian mansion that was then castellated by his son in the 1820s. So it's a mock castle and it's, it's, uh, it wasn't particularly, it's beautifully designed, not very strongly built. So yes, masses of things come up constantly um, to do with, you know, bits 
falling off. Indeed. And, and of course, don't talk about heating and, and plumbing. No, exactly. <laughs> and, and of course, that was a very, a very popular thing to do uh, when, when uh, kind of uh, the aristocracy fell on hardened times find a find a rich uh, yank yeah. and, <laughs> and yeah, spend all did. their money in exchange yeah. for a title uh, which of course a lot of them were happy to oblige now tell me how glyn came to you and your husband dominic west um well really it was for sale because we couldn't really keep on with it and um my father had died we had our business we we started a hotel business in the 90s and that went very well for about 15 years and then had to shut in the recession we're very much geared towards the american market and um it was it's been sort of hanging in the balance and we made a decision that with my sisters that we would um give it a go we'd give it for five years to see if we could pull it round so that it could pay for its own keep and we could kind of get it going and make the business work and revive everything. And we and that's what we've been doing. And doing it very successfully because you run it now as a luxury retreat. I know it's in the blue book, um, mm-hmm. but it's on, a, on, on one of these kind of full let bases. So you can't go down there for two nights on your own. It's about taking out all of the rooms and, and yeah. having it as venue. Yeah. So it's it, a bit unusual like y- that. Yeah. Well, yes, but also you can see the logic behind it because you're yeah. not having people checking in and checking out every single day. So yeah. tell me a little bit about the kind of parties that come to the house. Is, is it for weddings? Is it family occasions? How many um, bedrooms yeah. do you have to let? Um, well, we have, well, we're so lucky because my, when my parents opened as the hotel, they did on the, the empty rooms at the top of the house, they made five extra rooms. So we've got 50 15, 15 bedrooms and bathrooms, which is a hell of a lot, really, for a, for one house. And it means that... So I think what we really appeal to are multi-generational family gatherings um, from from America, some from Ireland, some from uh, other further afield. But they want to get together, especially after COVID, we found a real upsurge in this, of families who don't want to go to a hotel. They want to be in their own group, have their friends and their friends and family they haven't seen for a long time get together and just all be together. Yeah. How are bookings going for 2023? Well, I'm just, um, Sinead, I'm so delighted to say they're really good. I don't know what, you know, whether people are really travelling a lot again, and but it's chock-a-block. It's absolutely booked. That's brilliant. Oh. That is brilliant. So, I mean, we are thrilled. Now, in a in a wider thing, you you were talked briefly there about your father. Uh, I know who died mm. in twenty eleven. He w- he was the twenty ninth night of Glynn. Now, he died, you know, because he had three beautiful daughters, but died without a son to inherit the title. And we we've learned about primogeniture and all that kind of thing. What happens to that title? You you don't become the knight, the dame of Glynn, or anything like that. How yeah, how does it pass on? Um, it. Well, there's no, first of all, there's no actual rules, um, as um, David Norris said. You know, you can really make it up because it's not really a, it was a, a title. There were three knights, the white knight, the black knight, the green knight. The knight of Kerry was the green knight and we're the black knight. And it's all lost in the midst of time. It's not like it was, you know, created by the, you know, English, whatever it's called, the, the College of Arms and all that. It's, 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 it's rather ephemeral, the whole thing. So mm. we could actually do whatever we want, probably. And, you know, skip. Either I could be, I, I could, uh, my mother's name is, is Madame Fitzgerald. I mean, if I, you know, I could be that, or I could make my son become, I could see if my son could become the Knight of Glynn and it's skip a generation. So there are options, but I, I must say I haven't, 
I haven't really pursued them. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I'll tell know. you what, I'd be going with the Madame Fitzgerald straight away for me. I know, for I, know, me. That, I know, yeah. <laughs> Dig out an old tiara and wear it to breakfast yeah, and all of that. I don't think my children would listen to me anymore. <laughs> I don't think so. All right. Well, listen, well, listen Catherine, you were you were spotted I, I reasonably recently in the last year or so. I saw pictures of you um, on the red carpet with your family and, of course, your husband, Dominic West, who plays um, who played Prince Charles in the latest season of The Crown and you were at the premiere and it was all Now I have to say he was really super in that part. I'm an avid watcher of that series and, and oh, he just nailed so it. He nailed it. Yeah. Well listen if anybody wants to have a look at uh, the Instagram it's at Glyn underscore Castle and I um, must say uh, some lovely pictures there and beautiful showcasing of uh, that ancient uh, castle and all of its history. Catherine Fitzgerald, Madam Fitzgerald, thank you very much (laughs) for joining us on the Home Show this morning to talk all things to do with Glenn. Thanks very much for having me, Sinead. It's been a great pleasure. You're listening to the Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. You can get in touch with me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 or by emailing the show at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. Now, experts say you should change your bed linen once a week or at the most every fortnight. But according to lots of surveys, the average person does it every 24 days. So how often should we change it and does it matter? Well, I'm joined now by Dr. Lindsay Browning, sleep expert from troublesleeping.co.uk. Lindsay, you're very welcome along to the show. Uh, A week? That sounds like a lot of work in my household. No, absolutely. Uh, I think how often you change your sheets very much depends on the time of year uh, and your lifestyle as well. So ideally, once a week would be best for for hygiene. Um, But of course, we have to balance that with the cost of living crisis, with the energy crisis, Mm. and also with the environment. So the reason that we say ideally every once a week, but every couple of weeks is because if we don't do that, then when we're asleep, even if we've showered before we go to bed, we sweat during our sleep and we also get rid of dead skin cells, basically. So after a couple of weeks of, of being in bed, your bed linen is going to be full of a lot of dead skin cells as well as the sweat. And you know, if you think about it, we wouldn't think for a second to wear the same clothes for two weeks. We just wouldn't. And yet we're spending the same amount of time you know, every day pretty much in our bed as we are in the clothes that we put on for the day. Mm. So if we sort of think about it like this, it makes sense that changing it every couple of weeks seems, oh my goodness, yes, that's that's, that's quite a long time. <laughs> 24 is, days is so is long. Yeah, now I kind of knew this was going to be an uncomfortable item and I'm beginning to have a little itch here now while I'm, here, <laughs> while I'm talking to you. And when you put it like that, that you wouldn't wear your clothes for that long, it does make sense. However, most of us, not all of us, um, sleep with some barrier on, maybe a pair of pyjamas or a t-shirt or nightdress that we might change more frequently every couple of days. Does that kind of solve the problem with what might be sitting around in our mattresses and in our beds? That does certainly help to some extent. Um, you know, you would change your underwear every day, um, but you change maybe your, your jeans, your t-shirt a bit less, less frequently. But the same with your bedding. Even if you're wearing pyjamas, you're still going to through that and of course you're not wearing unless you're completely weird um, an all-over bodysuit that covers your face as well 
So you, we, we sweat through our hands, we sweat through our head, we sweat through our um, feet, and also we, we sweat through those clothes. And the dead skin cells and things, they, they move, don't they? So um, it, your bedding is going to come into contact with a lot of things that are going to, you know, the dead skin cells, for example, which I know is, is disgusting and horrible to think about, but it's just, it's just real life, it's just what happens. And the trouble is, mites live off that. Like yucky, alive things feed on our dead skin cells uh, and they're what live in our bedding, our mattresses and can cause like severe allergies. So we really do want to be washing the bedding, the bedding frequently so that those you know, yucky things don't have time to get into the mattress as much because you know, the longer we wait, the more this the sweat, the dead skin cells sort of move right. into all of our bedding. And I think that's probably what bothers people more than the dead skin cells because at least they're dead and it's your skin. Yeah. But it's the idea of creepy crawlies. And, mm-hmm. and I know that a lot of these can be much smaller then the gaps, say, in the cotton thread count, I mean, they can get absolutely. through. They're, like, they're microscopic, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You can't see them. You won't see them. Um, and to be, you know, to be fair, we live with little tiny microorganisms all the, all the time. If you were to look at your face under a microscope, you would see there's a lot of stuff going on there, which is perfectly normal and healthy, and that's what life is supposed to be like. But we're talking about and excess and too much and potentially that can trigger allergies which can make Mm. people have skin problems or even have trouble breathing during the night which can make sleep even more difficult because you're sort of snuffling because of the allergies to the mites. Right, okay, you've convinced me. So every week the pillowcases, the duvet cover and all of that has to come off. What about pillows? Because, I mean, I don't know how long you're supposed to keep a pillow but Mm -hmm. a lot of them aren't washable. Um, Do do you have to, how often do you have to kind of change up your pillows? Well, most pillows are washable. Um, it's just obviously you need to have a washing machine that's, that's big enough to cope with it, mm. really. So um, you know, washing, if you wash your pillowcases more regularly, then there's less likelihood that the, the stuff you don't want is going to get into the pillow itself. But yes, we should be washing our pillows fairly regularly and we, and we should be changing them. I mean, ideally, every couple of years to change your pillows up. And, and that's the kind of thing that people don't do. And people have pillows that they've had for since they were kids. And they think, oh my goodness, that, well, we're supposed <laughs> to change them. But actually, if you, if you change them, not only is it going to be more hygienic, but it's also going to do the job a lot better. Because what happens is all these sweat, the skin cells, all that yucky stuff that we don't think about goes into the pillows and we can't avoid it. And it'll build up, meaning that your pillow isn't as fluffy. It isn't as, it doesn't move and support your head in a lovely way during the night because it's got all this extra gunk in it. Mm. So, yeah, it's a really good idea to to be realistic about it and to wash things regularly and to replace them not, you know, not every 10 years. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, listen, where can people find uh, more about you? You're on Instagram? Yeah, I'm on Instagram um, at Dr. Browning Sleep and you can find me on social media there. Lovely. Lots of tips there. Uh, Dr. Lindsay Browning, author of Navigating Sleeplessness, thank you very much uh, for uh, not putting us to sleep in that item and giving us lots and lots of information. And thank you for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Now, it's International Women's Day next Wednesday. The 8th and White's Auctioneers in Dublin are holding an auction this coming Monday featuring works by Irish female artists from the last century. I am delighted to be joined in studio by Chairman of White's Ian White. Uh, Ian, 
welcome along to the home show. Now, how let, let's kind of just start with how women artists generally have been viewed and, and maybe accepted or not over the last century. Well, it's changed a lot. I mean, most of the artists we're featuring would be from the first half of the the, the, the 20th century. So um, they're long gone, but their artists survived. And mm. they were they were quite fortunate in that most of those artists were from wealthy families, mainly Anglo-Irish Protestant families, and they could afford to travel. They could also afford to study in London and Paris uh, and, and elsewhere. And... Um, and learn how to paint properly. And, mm. and uh, some of them are from outstanding. They were quite neglected in terms of uh, commercially. They, they couldn't, uh, they, well, they didn't need the money for a start. Mm, so they didn't need thing. to sell their paintings <laughs> yeah. for a start, but, which is a bad thing in, in some ways because yeah. it means they're not brought to the mm. attention of the public. They did put on exhibitions in the 20s and 30s um, uh, of their work, which they financed themselves. And uh, and they were quite well well accepted in some quarters, but the more conservative art critics didn't like their work, some of which was Cubist. Didn't like the work or didn't like didn't the like women? Didn't like the work and I think didn't like the fact that women were painting, mm. you know. Was it seen more kind of as an eccentric hobby for a spinster exactly. as opposed uh, to a, a, a kind of profession? Yes, they, they didn't regard them in the same light as they would have regarded, uh, say, Sean Keating or Paul Henry. Mm. Mm. Or Jack Yates or the rest. Indeed. And and so, that is changing now. I mean, I do you yes. feel that female artists are now getting their due in terms of accolade I th- I and think prices. So. And yeah, the prices yeah. are coming up. They're still maybe not at the quite the level of, of, of some of the male arts. Like we we've sold Jack Yates paintings for, you know, one and a half million, that type of thing. Yeah. And we've yet to get that kind of money for a female artist. But some some contemporary Irish artists are doing quite well. Like for instance Genevieve Figgis, for mm. instance, who uh, has been getting prices of 100, 150,000 each, mainly in Asia, in, in Hong Kong, um, which is interesting. Interesting, yeah. Um, so it's good to see that we have somebody carrying the flag for women. Some of the Irish, some of the former Irish, like the, one of the Irish artists from the period I mentioned would be Mamie Jellett, and she's yeah. our foremost yeah. Cubist uh, painter. She studied under Andrew Lote in, in Paris, uh, along with Nora McGuinness and, and uh, Mary Swansea, people like that. But... We think I think we got one hundred and five thousand for one of our works uh, a couple of years ago, which is a world record for her. And it's good to see that the money is is coming for them now. Good, uh, maybe yeah. long after they're gone. I know, I but, know, but, and they uh, won't they won't benefit from it yeah. personally. But it kind of gives you, I suppose it's it's a vindication of their ability and prowess, and that it just simply wasn't recognised yeah. or wasn't prepared yeah. to be for for. Uh, I think it it took a while. It was not till maybe the nineteen sixties. Uh, when um, the Dawson Gallery promoted people like uh, Evie Hone, mm. uh, Mainy Jellett, mm. Mary Swansea and the like. And there was also a London dealer who promoted Mary Swansea quite a bit in the That it became kind of fashionable or, well, or was, permitted. Yeah, so yeah, she's, she's yeah. quite well um, recognised. In fact, she, Mary Swansea once said that she wished she was called Henry because she would have <laughs> done a lot better. Well, of course, I've, I've heard that, of course. There's a lot, a lot of uh, female writers mm-hmm. that, I mean, Jane Austen famously titled herself A Lady, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and you would A.E. and you yeah. lots of people who just couldn't give Indeed. their give their name yeah. because Indeed because it, it wasn't yeah. considered yeah. proper yeah. and appropriate. OK, well, look, let's get to some of these. I know you've brought in the brochure there, which yes, is very yeah. beautiful yeah. and glossy. It's yeah. probably a collector's item in itself. We're, t- we're talking later on the show about coffee table books and, you know, how to curate them. So this 
possibly could be one you'd have yeah, lying I mean, around. Yes. It's make, make you look more erudite. No, make yeah, me look more erudite than I am. Art auction catalogues are nice things to Yeah, leave, aren't they? Aren't they? Okay, now we Mab- get a bit of business out of them now. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Now, Mabel Young, uh, yes. she was a British-born artist. She moved yeah. to Ireland in yeah. 1914. This yeah. style, well, to me, is, is kind of these dreamy, um, landscapes, landscapes yeah. you know, lots of trees and yes. and kind of aspects of nature, which I suppose was uncontroversial, yeah. uh, and and liked around that yes. that period. So, what kind of art do we have uh, from from Mabel Young? Well, Mabel Young, first of all, she was the second wife of he- Paul, the famous Paul Henry. Okay. And what's interesting about uh, his first wife, Grace Henry, is a very very fine artist as well, and we've got some works by her in the sale. Um, Mabel Young maybe isn't as she's actually quite reasonable to buy um, and as you mentioned the trees she was very good at trees in fact I think she taught uh, Paul Henry how to do trees properly Go away but Right said, Well there you go Claim also, to fame Also quite interestingly Paul Henry was colour blind and, and his first wife Grace Henry who was a good artist in her own right Scottish, she was from Scotland originally but um she uh, mixed his palette and she would show him, tell him that's that and that's that and that's fine. So when she left him and Mabel Young moved in, um, uh, the, the palette, the, the, you could see there's a detectable difference in, in colour okay. in his paintings. Was it better uh, or worse? Uh, it was good. No, right. uh, I, I, <laughs> she improved. I'm not going to knock any of this. They were all great. But, but right. no, yeah, they were all great. Yeah. Um, but uh, how interesting. Yeah, okay, it, so in her own right, though, like she yeah. was clearly a, she was a fine good painter, painter. But again, yeah, Grace Henry managed to, when she left him, she she went on to, to better things. Whereas Mabel Young, maybe I think a lot of uh, you know where it's a couple where the, the, there's a male yeah. artist and a female yeah. artist, it tends to be. That most people know the female, the male artist yeah, quite yeah, well, but they don't know the other. I mean, it's happened with Anne Madden, whose husband was Louis, Louis Lebrocki, exactly. And they, they they're in the shadow, so to speak. You know, there's not many stars born type things mm. where it's the woman mm. who comes out uh, as being better. But um, okay, some some yeah. some pictures there. So, what kind mm. of prices are you looking at for her work nowadays? You pick up uh, Mabel Young for. Thousand euro to fifteen hundred. Okay. okay, so an investment piece, yeah. but not going to break the bank for no. For lots there are one or two examples where she did a particularly good piece it's like a, what we call a show piece where um, she, she she might have one or two really good works um, usually ones with that are a bit more figurative than her just mm. her straight landscapes mm. and they can fetch three, four, five thousand you know okay. but but you'll good, get good examples of her work okay um, but they're not the most exciting, I must say. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of... But they can be quite decorative. I don't want to de- denigrate yeah. them by saying chocolate box pieces, but they're Berlant. One thing if are buying something like that for their home, you know, yeah. if you're buying a painting for home, you can always change the frame because a lot of these pictures were painted in the 40s, 50s, 60s and the frames are rather dowdy. And you can actually liven up the picture ter- okay. terrifically if you go to a good framer and say, can we just brighten this up yeah, and, and, and you and I guess you match your decor and, okay. and you'll find the picture comes alive it completely changes it brilliant okay mm. now Laetitia Marion Hamilton, Hamilton yes. now there's a name for you well, uh, she, you can tell where she was she studied under Sir William Orpin yes, and yeah. uh, she was obviously very well trained mm. and yeah. you know was a member of the Society of Dublin Painters and all of that um, there's a lot of uh, I saw in her work um these Irish coastal scenes, mm-hmm. kind of Connemara seems to feature roundstone well, Ireland, places the, like that. That was just absolutely... Well, of course, you've got the subjects there. Yeah. And you'll find most a lot of these works. But were, there's a definite quality here. Th- there is a difference to... To my untutored eye. Yeah, well, 
and she uses a lot of paint. You know, she plastered it on with 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 a palette knife, that type of thing, which is interesting. And she could afford the paint, whereas some of them couldn't. You know, uh, but she had she had, she had a good style of her own. She could be comparable to Paul Henry actually in many ways, in that she did more figurative. So you can see this market scenes, this people in uh, Clifton and people in uh, towns in West Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was very good at that. Um, and there's a life, there's a liveliness oh, in it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah she, rather than the, the broad landscapes. Yeah. OK, so that's Laetitia Marion Hamilton. And we're looking at price wise for that, Ian? Um, I think uh, we've got one in there is a 10 or 15,000, I think. Wow, but, but, OK, you know, OK. The, some of them are, are more uh, are dearer than others. You can pick up pick up a decent example of um, uh, Hamilton for as little as three to four thousand. Okay. Uh, I've seen, re- she did in her later life, um, in her 80s, she was still banking, she did nice little small pictures, mm. not much bigger than that, than an A4 say. Okay. And, and uh, in fact, less than that. Uh, and those will pick up sometimes for 1,500, 2,000, um, sometimes a little bit more. Okay, so a nice starter piece maybe. If yeah, there are starters. You know, okay. there's starters for most of them available. Right. You know. Now, the next artist I mm. absolutely adore. Yeah. I think she is stunning. Okay. Lillian Lucy Davids. Oh, yes. Yeah. Rural yeah. Irish costumes, yes. lots of people, turf cutters. Yeah. The colour. She was quite prolific. Yes. She, lots of well, stuff here. And terrific. I, I, I mean, I, I think she rivals, Sean, she rivals Sean Keating. Yeah. I mean, we have a Lillian uh, Lucy Davids and it's a repairs at Arclo, the men fixing their nets. And it's stylistic. It's not totally representational, which I like. And it, it shows that people doing something, you probably wouldn't, you know, we'll still see fishermen with nets nowadays, but mm. probably, uh, but it, it, there's something about the quality of it. And it's funny, we, we have that in it, eight to 12,000. If that was Sean Keating, be 50, 60. I know, yeah. So it still exists, Ian, doesn't it? There's good value with women, you know. (laughs) The discrimination, good value, that's how you're putting it. Okay, discrimination is is how I'm I'm putting it. Okay. So Lillian, I I must say, she's a beautiful artist and Mm. and the colours and everything. And there's such life in it. They're nearly moving in front of you, you know. Uh, Now, Mary Swansea, you mentioned her earlier. So talk to me just briefly about Mary. Mary. We've only one, I think we've one example of Mm. of a businessman, she calls it, you know, it's kind of almost a cartoon. Um, she had a few different periods in her in her painting. I, her best and the most sought after would be the Cubist works, mm. and a good Cubist work by her could fetch up to hundred thousand. You mm. know, um, certainly thirty, forty, fifty thousand for the big, big, big sized ones. Then, and she was very good. She's probably one of our certainly her and Jellet would vie for who's going to be who was the best mm. Cubist. Mm. I think Swansea, the art critics tend to think she was, but whatever. Um, but then she went to, she was in England during the war and she painted some interesting subjects about the war and um, there were what we call um, imaginary it, pictures. Okay. And some of them are quite horrific, you know, this, yeah. this kind of devils yeah. and people killing each other and all sorts of stuff. Uh, I meant to mention actually, she's quite adventurous. She, uh, at the end of World War One, she joined a church mission to the Balkans and went around Czechoslovakia and you. Yugoslavia, those areas, Serbia, Croatia, and that, um, helping people to recover from the war. And uh, so she was. And got her, and got her inspiration yeah, there. So she didn't mind the, the, the bit of gore and no. the representation and then she went of realism. Samoa and places like that, following <gasps> right, okay. Gogan's uh, oh, footsteps. Yes, yes. And she did some really fabulous pictures um, in the Pacific Islands. Uh, which are quite rare that you don't see them that, well, that often. There's a range. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, right, she, okay. the, the, you're looking at Swansea, you're looking at a, a lot of interesting art. And, yeah. 
Um, and the price range, you can get small ones, 1,000, 1,500. So I've seen a few drawings. There's lovely little drawings you pick up for 500 quid okay. and frame them nicely and they really look good. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. Now, where can people find out more? This auction, it's online at the moment. Yeah. Um, it finishes on Monday evening. Yes, it's it's. You can see at the moment. You can look at it and see how the bidding's going. Okay. Uh, because some people leave bids at this okay. stage, right? And then on the night we'll have a live in the room auction. Okay. But it'll be broadcast all over the internet, so you can you can bid from your phone or your. Okay. Uh, we we have one American bidder who often bids on his horse. You know, he, he, <laughs> maybe it gives he's him on his ranch down up Texas in his high and, horse and he's on his phone painting. bidding you know I said right you know, um, okay well for the rest of mere mortals yeah. they can actually do that from the comfort of their home or indeed, indeed in White's Auction can come, House come down yeah. to the auction yeah, live auction beyond in the free what would you say to people uh, Ian for whom maybe this mm. they haven't really been to auction mm. rooms they're afraid of scratching their nose in case they're done out of 10 grand or something yeah. you'd say go along and have go a look go along and have a look I usually say to people well Maybe the first auction, don't buy anything. Yeah, you know, okay. And see how... Sit in your hands. Uh, see, yeah. See what's going on. Get, yeah. Educate yourself about it. Fantastic. But uh, yeah, it's not that it's not that hard. And we don't scratch your nose now. No. You have to stick <laughs> you up know. your... Your one, paddle. Once you stick up your paddle, then you can wink at me and you can scratch your nose or whatever. I had one client years ago and his thing was, uh, when I'm in the room, I'm not bidding. And when I'm not in the room, I'm bidding. And you had to keep an eye on him. Oh, he's out of the room. He's bidding. I'll have to bid for him. People have funny habits, you don't know. they? All right. Well, your job is to source all that out and, yeah. and work out what people really mean. All right. So people can go on there. Instagram, uh, White's Auctioneers or www.whites.ie and have yes. a look. Ian White's White, White, chairman it, yeah. of White's.ie. Thank, thank you very much for coming thank in you. today. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. And if you're currently redesigning your bedroom or your guest bedroom and want to give it the five star luxury hotel feel, well then, who better to ask than interior designer to the stars, Arlene McIntyre, who joins me now to tell us exactly what we need to do. Arlene, you're very welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, let me tell you what signifies for me that I'm in a hotel. Uh, Apart from paying a lot of money and having to check in, it is when you get into the bathroom and instead of a towel, there are those tiny little rolled up flannels in a basket. Yes, (laughs) all the goodies. That to me sounds like uh, that that, everybody gets a little individual hand towel and that to me is a posh hotel bedroom. But there you go. I am easily pleased. Uh, But if you're doing it at home, you probably won't mm-hmm. go to that trouble, but you're going to give us some advice on what your celebrity clients like in a guest room. Well, they just want to feel that little bit extra special when they're visiting you or staying in your guest bedroom. So I would always push the boat out. I would have fluffy white bath towels for guests, nice slippers, beautiful towels, fresh, clean linen. I love Egyptian cotton, if your budget can reach out to that. Um, loads and loads of pillows. You've got reading pillows. You have uh, sitting up pillows, soft pillows. So a selection of pillows to sleep on. Lovely cashmere throws. Um, I think tones in the room are really important as well. So the tones in that overall scheme should be very restful, calming. I always delve into the seascape kind of color palette. Okay, so that sounds to me like kind of greens and blues and yes. that kind of color? Yes. Why? Because it aids sleep or because it's... It's, it's just very calming and restful. Okay. So I would always just keep guest rooms really calm, very simplistic. 
I love those sort of sea greens, duck egg blues, pale blues, warm taupes, just really soft and, and just inviting, but not too strong so that your guests can relax. Now, of course, when you have a guest room, I mean, if you have a guest room that's only used for that and it might just have your bits of your winter wardrobe in the in, in it, you can kind of afford to do it without having anything lying around, you know, without yeah. having to do it. So it might actually look a lot better than your own bedroom uh, sure. where, you, where you have your living and you have loads of stuff in it. So you can kind of go to town then on things like a nice scent uh, or sure. nice lighting. For sure. So definitely look at your pendant lighting in that room. So make sure that whatever your guest is looking up at on the ceiling is beautiful as well. So that might be somewhere you might splurge. I love the little things. I love the scents. I think it's really important to sup- uh, couple your diffuser with your candle so that you have sort of a scent story going off and you don't have like a cinnamon scent on one side of the room and a lemon and lime on the other. So okay. that's, that's really important to get your scents right. Um, definitely consider having little reading books, hand creams, um, of course, their own set of bath towels and hand towels and face towels is really important. So I like to kind of stack those at the end of the bed so they really feel like they're checking into a hotel when they're staying with you. Okay, wow, they may never want to leave. That could be the problem. You're <laughs> well, stuck with true. them for a few days. So actually, when they walk into the room, have it look like you've really thought it through and you've made yeah. it made it just for them. Now, in a hotel, of course, in a nice hotel, you will get a pair of slippers and a French, a freshly laundered robe. Do yeah. you think we should put that in a guest yeah. room too? Definitely. I would definitely have bath towels for if it's a, if it's a couple. I would have two bath towels. I would have uh, slippers. I would make sure that really everything that they need, they had in that space. A floor, full-length mirror would be very important as well. I think nice reading lights each side of the bed is an important uh, detail not to forget. If you can add that in, it's really important. Soft lighting in the bedroom is important. Um, A little vanity area would be nice too, somewhere for them to blow dry their hair, uh, put out their cosmetics, get ready. Okay, right. Okay, so lots of tips there. Now, one of the things you looked at there was reading material and a few little books stacked up on the thing. And I like to do that because A, it's another repository for some of the books that I've read but can't bear to throw out, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, But also it can give, uh, maybe like just give the impression that I'm very erudite and look at these authors I have and isn't this a bit posh. So, like, should we limit that to a wide range of reading options or kind of just throw in some trashy novels that people can get, you know, if they wake up in the middle of the night, that'll help them get to sleep. (laughs) I think magazines are actually uh, a winner because, you know, there's something in it for everyone. So then you're kind of nailing it in one you know, magazine or even a couple of glossy magazines are good, laid out somewhere in the room. And I always like leaving in little books, which kind of help people read about creating headspace or how to bring calm into their lives and just little small books that can add tidbits into their evening if they are waking up at three o'clock in the morning and they need to get back to sleep. Okay, brilliant. All right. Okay. Now, of course, the next morning, you still want them to get up and have breakfast. So uh, in terms then of kind of finishing off the B&B experience, Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly know that uh, my normal breakfast is a cup of coffee and a fruit salad. But when I have guests over, I do like to embellish that a bit by pretending that we eat 
you know, almond <laughs> croissants all the time, <laughs> freshly baked. Um, so how can you how can you further that experience? Are, first of all, are you going to leave a few drinks in the bedroom for them, or just maybe a little oh, a little glass of water? water. Yeah. Always bottled water. Yeah, bottled water. Glasses. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Definitely. And, and then the next morning, we're looking at the freshly made, the proper coffee. Yes. Tea. Coffee. I think it's really good to have that scent and the aroma kind of floating up to the room and the bedroom space when they come down in the morning. Oh, we have to get up so, before them. Okay, right. <laughs> I think that would be nice. And if not, I mean, if they want to have a lion in Europe anyway, I think it's the smell of fresh toast is lovely in the morning and coffee and all those kind of delicious morning scents that that everyone loves. Yeah. And if you really need to get them out of bed, throw on a rasher onto the frying pan. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Good advice. (laughs) Sorry, especially if they're children, by the way, get them out of bed. Good advice. Now, so one other thing I mentioned at the show, because we have International Book Week coming up, was Mm -hmm. the whole idea we're getting out of the bedroom and back into the living room of the coffee table book. Now, I don't have a coffee table, but I do have a kind of a a leather puff in front of my sofa that I sometimes like to put. I think you gave me this tip of putting a tray with a few kind of little candles and a few posh books on it. Now, what kind of books are going to impress people the most? I know you designed Vogue Williams House. You've designed lots of celebrity houses. What do you advise them to leave lying around casually as if they're they're very well read? Yeah, well, it's a funny one because I actually don't think a lot of people always read their coffee table books. I think they collect books because maybe, say, for example, with one of my clients, she just loved Chanel and all things Chanel. So she just collected all the books, beautiful limited edition books on that everything Chanel. So and she would stack them up beautifully in her styling in the living room space on her shelves or on the coffee table, just casually kind of placed around the room. And it kind of told, I guess, her guests a lot about her and her passions. So it's always important to kind of remember your personality will come out of the books that you have displayed around the space. I love books on travel, um, European cities that I've visited. I think that's always interesting and it Mm -hmm. opens up conversational topics. I love gardening books. Um, cooking, sometimes if you can get the right mix, you know, where it's talking about how you can cook and garden and all that sort of stuff, that can be beautiful. I like reaching for books that have beautiful covers, Sinead, to be honest, in living room spaces, and that could potentially add that missing colour pop into the space. Yeah, and actually some of those, and they are very expensive, some of these books, these hardback ones, but if they have yeah, a gorgeous glossy photograph on the front, I, I, I think you've made a really good point there because they can say, oh, there's a book on Californian hotels. You know, do you like yeah. travelling? Have you ever been there? That kind of thing and, and kind of get that conversation going. Yeah, I love that. I think anything that kind of, that you might collect on a, you know, if you visited a country like Vienna, it's lovely to pick up some beautiful books about Vienna and have them on your coffee mm. table um, as a memory for your trip. And of course, it's, it's a lovely conversation, no opener. All right. Well, listen, Arlene McIntyre, tons of tips there. I'd say you're the most, I'd say people love coming to your house to stay. <laughs> I, feel <laughs> like, about that. I feel like dropping everything and heading over to you right now. <laughs> listen, thanks a million once again uh, for all those stylish tips. Uh, Thank and you of for course, having me. Arlene can be found at Ventura Interior Design and Arlene. McIntyre Design uh, if you want to have a look for her there and all the gorgeousness which is up on her Instagram account. Uh, Arlene, thanks a million. Thank you. Take care.
Thanks for listening to the Home Show podcast this week. I'm Sinead Ryan. And remember, if you'd like to get involved or get in contact with us, well, you can do so by texting us at 53106 for 30 cent or email the show at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. We're always interested in possible guests and topics that you, our listeners, would like us to cover and we're happy to get those suggestions. You can listen to The Home Show live every Saturday morning from 8am to 9am. Thanks to Eva Breen producing today on sound to Stephen McLoon and Peter Malloy and we'll be back with another episode next week. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan, Saturday morning at 8. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.